0: This is the Working Class Audio podcast, session 110.
1: Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreau.
0: Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 110 you are listening to. It is brought to you by our friends over at gearsluts.com, Universal Audio Focal Monitors, and Audio Technica. Back with you post NAM. Yeah, I didn't announce a show on um, Friday because I was at NAM. So I figured I would just put the show together Monday morning. So here it is. It's Monday morning. So you're going to get You know, it's like nine seventeen right now, West Coast time. So you're going to get the show a little bit later. So I hope it. uh, I hope it works out for all of us. Um, Yeah, what a blast! Really good time at Nam. Lots of interesting things to see. Uh, I don't even know where to begin. Let's start with what's. What the hell is going to happen today on the show? You didn't. I know. I didn't announce a guest. So here's the deal. This is going to be. a show with four different guests, because what I did was I brought brought a, uh, a setup to where I could record what I essentially started to call power interviews or power talks, whatever. And uh, I spoke with Sean McLaughlin, uh, who's been on the show. Uh, I spoke with Vance Powell, who's been on the show. Uh, I spoke with Gary Boss from Audio-Technica, who has never been on the show. Uh, I spoke with Andy Freeman, And Andy hasn't been on the show, but I did record an interview with Andy. And ironically enough, um, this is going back a ways. You all never knew about this, but Andy Freeman and I. Andy is a producer and an engineer and uh, all-around nice guy with a great beard, by the way. And anyways, Andy and I, we did did a call some time ago after he had just moved to Los Angeles from the Bay Area. We did it on Skype, and these were in the days of the podcast when I actually wasn't having both sides record their own part of the conversation and the Skype recorder just uh, I don't I don't know any other way to say it in any nicer way to say it but basically the Skype recorder shit the bed and I lost pretty much two-thirds of the interview and I was just you know after you do an interview it's 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 kind of like doing a take with somebody you know the take was gone so there was no point I just I called him and I said hey man This ain't happening. We're going to have to figure this out at another point in time, and I'm really, really sorry. So anyways, Andy is uh, on the show, uh, and I also had the opportunity to sit and have a chat with Ben Lindell from Pure Mix. Yeah, you might know, you know Pure Mix. Fab DuPont, Ben Lindell, you know, they do these great videos, and anyhow, great guys, Um, really hardworking, and I had the chance to sit and chat with Ben and... Yeah, so, Ben, Andy, Vance, Gary, and Sean, yeah, you know, all coming up. So, a multitude of interviews, which I think is fun. We did them for, like, 20 minutes, so you're going to get a little little blast of of some chit-chat here. Um, lots to see. Um, I saw so many people. You know, it's a big social event on so many levels, and I w- had the opportunity to hang out with some, some great folks, um, Got to hang out with uh, Pete Lyman, mastering engineer. Uh, Reed Shippen. Reed's been on the show, of course. Um, Catherine Vericoli, who's been on the show, hung out with a lot of people. Sean McLaughlin. Sean, I tell you, he took me to what I can only describe as the gates of hell. He took me to the basement of Nam. And if you've never been uh, to the, if you've been to Nam but you didn't know that there was a basement level. Well, there's a big treat for you next year. It's this place, basically, where it's it, it is smaller manufacturers uh, who, you know, quite honestly, just I guess can't afford a bigger booth because those booths are expensive. I truthfully, I don't know what they totally charge, but anyhow, I, we went down there. Uh, we went down to see the guys from uh, Coil. They make um, they make mic preamps. They make some very very cool stuff. And he said, "Oh man, you got to come check this out." And we walked down there and my eyes just bugged out of my head because it was just, it was so loud. So uh, we had a chance to, you know, speak with the Coil folks and get the, the rundown. I'm actually pulling the guy's business card out. Yeah, Joel uh, from Coil Audio. Uh, so we spoke with Joel and then as soon as that conversation was over, I said, Sean, we got to get the hell out of here. I can't take this any longer. It's just way too loud. So, uh, yeah, so. <laughs> just as kind of a point of seeing a train wreck, go down to the basement uh, in future uh, Nam trips for yourself. But yeah, uh, met a lot of great people. Uh, just a shout out, you know, David Weiss over at Sonic Scoop. I saw David. Um, got to go and have dinner uh, with uh, Dusty Wakeman from Mojave, and and here is a treat. And I'm here. We go. I'm going to name drop. Get ready. I got to have dinner with Jeff Emmerich unbelievable. And that was actually courtesy of Pete Dell, who's been on the show. Pete had contacted me and said, hey, man, uh, you're coming to dinner with me on this on Friday night, right? And I said, absolutely. So I meet up with Pete and I said, okay, I'm here. Let's go. And he goes, okay, it's going to be you and me and Dusty. and, uh," and And he just happened to throw in Jeff Emmerich's name in there. And I was like, whoa, back up a second. What did you just say Jeff Emmerich? And I was I was in shock. Now, truth be told, it was a table of 12, and it was a loud restaurant, and I just didn't get to have the opportunity to sit next to Jeff, but he was there at the table, heard a few interesting stories, and uh, yeah, what a treat. Amazing. So Pete Dell, thanks for that uh, dinner invitation. So uh, good times, good times. So here we are back. It's Monday, drinking coffee, recovering. Well, that's it. I'm just recovering. Nothing more to tell you. So let's get into it. Let's let's start these interviews off. Who are we going to talk to first? Who did I talk to first? Oh yeah, let's talk with Ben Lindell first from PureMix. Yeah, let's check that out. So this is my um, this is my Nam Power Talk series right here. So here it is. Uh, you're gonna get. You're, you, this is gonna become like Law and Order with their with their bum bum theme with the uh, working class audio bumper here between every interview. So I hope that doesn't drive you nuts. But anyways, here we go. Let's start off uh, our first interview, first power talk here with Ben Lindell here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Nam power interviews here, Nam 2017. Standing here with Ben Lindell from. Pyramix, how are you? I'm doing well, Matt, how's your stuff? I'm good, getting caffeinated. Yeah, it's, it's early. It's it's morning time and yeah. we're recovering from last night, but you're with Pyramix. Yep. Pretty much everybody's familiar with it at this point. You produce an engineer and mix. Correct, and yep. How much time does Pyramix take up, Of your how much of your time does Pyramix take up compared to doing production work, audio work?
2: I'd say a majority of it at this point. So, you know, for PureMix, I'm handling, you know, all of the video teams, all the marketing, emails, social media, kind of running all of our teams inside of PureMix. Mm-hmm. That keeps me busy all day. And then, generally, all my production stuff. I actually work with the team. Uh, one of the things I really, you know, I realized about five years ago is that mm-hmm. there's a bit of a ceiling in terms of what I could do personally as an engineer, as a producer, just as myself. Uh, so what I got really interested in was partnering with friends and with other people who I believed in were t- super talented, and using them as producers and engineers, and kind of fostering another, you know, fostering another generation of producers and engineers who have similar similar taste in music, similar workflows, similar ideas to me, and then supporting them through having a production company and a studio, um, huh. and then also kind of training them, in, you know, in the way that I like to work. So. All of our systems are very cohesive, so we all share a studio, we all use the same kind of template in terms of how we mix and how we produce. Uh, so what that allows me to do is let them do 90% of the work on the music side, and I can come in and help out either on the strategy side or on the mixing and mastering uh, really at the end.
0: So it's, it's, if I was an artist and I came to work with you, I would work with a group of people that you work with in an effort to come up with a finished product And even a strategy to market that product?
2: Yeah, so we do a lot of artist development. Um, You know, really the thing that we're seeing now is with independent artists, I've worked with so many of them. over. I've been in New York now for almost nine years. And so many of them, they're great in the studio. They can write awesome songs. They can make a kick-ass record. But then they put it out and their friends and family like it and, you know, a couple hundred fans. But they all really struggle with finding an audience and really putting out their music effectively and, you know, just doing something with it. So I always felt like that was, it's kind of a waste of everyone's time in some ways. Uh, You know, if you're gonna spend all this time in the studio, all this money making a record, if no one hears it, no one cares about it, it's like, you know, how are you progressing this forward? And not thinking just on a record by record basis, but thinking on like a career basis. Do they pay you per hour? Do they pay you on a per project basis? Varies from artist to artist, Mm -hmm. you know, early on in my career I was doing everything by the hour or like you know doing mixes by the song and then as I just started getting more and more into the production side again kind of keeping it by the song mm. uh, but now that we're in the artist development thing we don't really do that for cash we do, we do that you know as a basically like a production deal where we find artists you know who we truly believe in like so that we're not so worried about you know making the money back on them instantly we're worried more about building them and having a sustainable career that we're a part of for, you know, not just one project, but hopefully 5, 10, 20 years.
0: That's a whole different way of looking at it and a whole different way of doing audio work that, I don't know if many people have thought about it in that way, but I guess, you live in New York, there's a lot of expense to doing that, so yeah. it behooves you, I guess, to be, to make your time, make your efforts more efficient.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, and we do, you know, Obviously, like I said, we invest in these artists and we we give them our time. We give them our services in exchange for being a part of their career. Mm -hmm. But on the other side of that, we do projects for hire. You know, we have plenty of vanity projects that come in, you know, where they just want to make a record and have it sound like a Katy Perry record or something like that. They're not artists that we're going to invest in, but if they already have investors or, you know, family <laughs> you know it's usually parents at that point mm-hmm. uh who are willing to willing to pay for it then you know we'll do those projects we also do a lot of work with ad agencies doing mm. commercial music uh so we're able to keep the lights on and make sure the whole team is being taken care of and making a living doing what we do and then using all of our spare time to then work on projects that we're like super passionate about
0: when we say team how big are we talking about
2: uh they myself uh my head producer rob grimaldi my engineer Anthony Glindo. my production partner Doug Larson, and then we have uh, our finance and kind of business admin, Guy Garrett. Uh, so five of us total. How long did it take you to like assemble this group of people? Uh, so it started with me and Doug. Uh, so we actually we went to college together down at University of Miami. Uh, so we've known each other, you know, for oh man, like 12 years now. Mm-hmm. And when we got to New York, you know, obvious how every production company starts. We started off we wanted to be a band. Uh, <laughs> and uh, realized you know as we were going through the process of making songs we were like wow this is this is cool but this isn't what we want this isn't for this band and the band was we were really great at rehearsing really great at like production we weren't great at performing or really like making momentum for ourselves mm-hmm. but then we ended up with all these tracks that were great pop tracks just instrumentals ready to be written to so we started bringing those around to publishers and Started to do co-writing sessions with other top liners and songwriters. And that's really how we got our start is like, okay, let's let's work with artists and be their producers and give them the full package, production, recording, mixing, and mastering. And it's kind of evolved from there. And you know, Anthony, my engineer, I know I've known him uh, for about eight years now. Started mm-hmm. off as a client. I was working on his band's project. He went off to audio school for a couple of years came back uh, to New York City and started interning with me, assisted me for about a year, year and a half, and over that time, you know, I trust him. I trust him with my mixes, He's he kills it. And a lot of times, I can just come in, maybe make a little bit of a tweak here or there, and it's ready to go. Wow. Now Pure Mix, that obviously
0: takes a huge amount of effort yeah. because those videos are fantastic. They look, they look and sound amazing. And there's quite an infrastructure around uh, distributing them, getting yeah. people to buy them. You could do a subscription thing or a one-off thing too, right? Correct, yeah. Okay. What's involved
2: for the average video in terms of the time involvement? Months. Uh, so it starts off you know, even before we go to shoot. Mm-hmm. It's coordinating logistics, licensing the music from the labels and publishers, booking the studios if, if we're visiting a different location. Crew, flights, hotels, all that stuff. So there's all this pre-production process. Right. Then we show up, show up at their studio, lights, camera, action, film, you know, for a typical, say, two hour long mixing tutorial, we're usually filming between like four to five hours of material to get that. The reason why it takes so long is because we do, we spend a lot of time and care in making sure that every second of our videos is something useful. There's a lot of stuff that we do as engineers, you know, pulling up plugins, thinking, you know, what should I, what's the next move, routing, naming tracks, all this kind of like monotony that isn't really educational. It's just kind of a waste of screen time. So we go through and we really make sure that every moment of the video, you're learning something. So that's where the, that's the editing process, which is multiple rounds of editing and on a, you know, if you're coming from four or five hours of footage down to a two hour tutorial, it's that's a process. Wow. So there's a couple of rounds of editing, audio mixing, color correction, and then finally publishing, and then all and then all of the marketing and promotion aspects of it start. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> and not- you like and you're doing all that and you're doing your own production work. Kind of as a wrap-up to, to our conversation here, yeah. what- what are the things that you do to make sure I mean obviously you know pyramix and the production work very involved things that you do mm-hmm. what do you do to what do you do to stay healthy what yeah. do you do to maintain your sanity <laughs> living in a big city like new york yeah. and trying to make sure that you keep a grip on all this without going insane because mm-hmm. i'm actually ga- i'm going to need to get another cup of coffee after this because of what
2: you just told me sleep i wake up i meditate that was a big shift. Like a couple of years ago, I got super into meditation, just 10 minutes in the morning. Uh, that that process mentally, huh. that, cle- that clears me up and lets me start fresh every day. Um, so that you know, do some push-ups, a little bit. I love I love to bike around the city. So spring through fall, I ride my bike to and from the studio. Uh, I live on the west side of Manhattan. My studio is down in the financial district, mm-hmm. so we get to ride down this beautiful greenway on the uh, on the Hudson River every day that I go to work. Wow. So, you know, taking it, it's always, it's stuff outside of the studio that, you know, I try to kind of combine things, you know? So if I'm biking or uh, working out, I'm listening to podcasts and getting fresh ideas and, you know, hearing stuff from marketing to music to business to life stuff. So it's just kind of feeding myself with inspiration from things outside of what I'm normally doing every day. Yeah. And then, you know, just trying to enjoy come home for dinner as much as I can and have dinner with, with my wife and dogs and just try to have some semblance of like some real life while day-to-day being uh occupied with insanity <laughs> wow wow when you're when you're obviously when you're meditating the, the
0: goal is to not fill your head with you know the activity the day's activities and yeah. think about that when you ride your bike are you constantly thinking about you know we're gonna film Andrew Shepps today
2: doing his his thing yeah. Is that like? It's usually a big long to-do list, and it's kind of nice since I'm on my bike. I can't just like stop and be writing things down, so it's it. It's still a little bit of a meditation of you know getting all these ideas, and you know I get some of the coolest ideas of new things to do or different ways of doing it. And then if it's good, it sticks. If it's not good, it just passes by.
0: You know, you said you listen to a wide range of podcasts uh, that cover a lot of different topics. Are you familiar with? There's an NPR one. I think it's called "I Built This" or "How th- How uh, Things Are Built." Uh-huh.
2: Yeah. Really fascinating. So cool. I love I love hearing those stories, man, and things that are outside the music industry, and especially like in the startup or you know small business world. Yeah. And hearing, you know, you get so much inspiration from how they were able to take an idea and take a passion for, or, you know, a lot of times scratching their own itch. Yeah. And then turning that into a real business that, you know, changes tens of thousands of people's lives yeah. for the better.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to hear how some of those people uh, structure their lives and their, their drive. Like, if, just as an example for you or for
2: the audience, if you haven't heard it, the Mark Cuban one, oh. that's really interesting. That, that guy, I mean, he was broke. He was like, he was out. And then the way he was able to you know, invest and create and then take a success and parlay that into more bigger and better successes. Incredible. Insane. Yeah. yeah.
0: Wow. Well, this has been great. I, I want to have you on the show for a longer talk, but yeah. this is, you know, I like, I'm enjoying doing these little power things where we can get some intense stuff going right yeah, off absolutely. the bat. Yeah, absolutely. So, thank you.
2: Not a problem. All right. Thank you very
0: much. And uh, if people want to, if people aren't familiar with PureMix, they can go to puremix.net. Correct. And. What about yourself? Is, do you have any separate websites?
2: Yeah, uh, so I have my personal website, which is benlindell.com. Okay. Uh, and people can always reach out to me uh, if they have any questions or ideas, ben at uh, Feel free to shoot me an email. I'm always happy to talk to, uh, to people.
0: Awesome. All right, well, enjoy NAM. Thank you, Matt. Okay. Doing another NAM power interview here with Sean McLaughlin. And if you haven't heard Sean's episode before, he's number 37. Isn't that ironic?
1: It is ironic. You know, Sean's
0: production uh, company is called 37 Foot Productions. My assistant pointed that out. (laughs) That was totally by accident. I did not plan that. Serendipity. Serendipity. Personified. So we're at NAMM 2017, um, and I'm wondering, what do you get out of coming here? Uh,
1: Well, I used to live here, so a lot of this is a way for me to condense all the people that I want to see in one place. Yeah. Uh, and I do like coming out, you know, I I, um, I have an endorsement through Mog, so I come out and see the Mog guys all the time. Uh, I I have an endorsement through, uh, through Dramastic. Uh, they do the Obsidian compressor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I come out and see them, although I could see them back home because they're in Massachusetts. Um, and I... And I have family in Orange County, so
0: Oh I didn't I, know that. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, that's why I'm that's why I'm slumming it down in Huntington Beach. Yeah, you're really slumming it. Huh? <laughs> Let's talk about endorsements for a second. What are your thoughts, your wisdom on for those that are listening that are like, oh man, I wish I could get an endorsement. What does that mean? And well how do I do that? I can only tell you how it happened for me and it was completely organic.
1: About three, almost four years ago now. I did uh, the Queensreck record that came out with Jimbo Barton. And Jimbo has been working with Cliff Moggs' products for years and didn't know that Mog Audio is a company again because he was using old NTI, the old NTI box, which was you know the first Airband box. So I told him that I was using these, the, the Mog's. I had, I had the Mog plugins. And I told him all about how this kind of came about. So he reached out to Cliff told Cliff that I told him about it and that I had been working with him on a few things. At that time, we were doing a lot of back and forth, long distance stuff. So that and the Matchbox 20 iTunes festival we had just done. And Cliff, Cliff was like, well, get me in touch with him. So I got in touch with Cliff and we were on the phone for about 45 minutes because people from Utah are just super nice. He said, well, if you want something, you know, if you pay for parts, you know, I want to put you on the website. And I want to, you know, I want to get things out there because, you know, you've been using this stuff forever. And that's kind of how it all came about for me. And a lot of the endorsements, you know, like I, I don't have a lot. It's like a handful. But it's all because I believe in the product. And a lot of times it's because I already own the product. Yeah. Like I go out and get it and I just talk about how great it is. And sometimes, you know, because manufacturers are just like us. They're not making a lot of money. A lot of them are driving beat up Toyotas and Nissans because their margins are not that big especially especially,
0: especially hardware manufacturers that's yeah when we're talking about
1: hardware versus software yeah well software software is a different story cuz once 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 all the creation's gone into it the instantiations are infinite yeah. from that point so when you're paying for software you're basically paying for past work and development of future work when you're paying for hardware the the past work is so much so much of the components so many of the components are so expensive and the and the price point that they're trying to sell them at is it looks expensive but if you look at that margin it's not that much like these guys might be making 10% above their cost when they sell some of this stuff even if it's a few
0: thousand dollars plus there's a lot of boutique manufacturers that are running like companies that are two and three people at most yeah and yeah. they're they're doing you know well look when- at Josephson
1: like Josephson's a perfect example because they have like three people that really work for them. It's like Dave Kelly and one other guy that really is. That's the company. Yeah. And their components, like their their research and their components and their parts, are so incredible that when they sell a mic, you know, they have a wiggle room of like a couple of hundred dollars, even on those mics that are you know five six thousand dollars. They don't have a lot of wiggle room with them. So they're they're doing it out of passion and right. you know like. Kelly was just talking to. I saw him talking to someone yesterday about doing a thing in New York. He said the problem with me going places is, I'm not in the office and there's no one else who does my job because there's only three of us. So they they go through a lot. They they work really hard at what they do, and I think it's our job to get the word out about how good the stuff is because we're the users. That's more important than any.
0: You mean as ad. an you mean as an endorser,
1: at, or just even as an engineer? For me, like I I want to trumpet anything. Whether I'm endorsing it or not, I want to trumpet it if it's good. Yeah. I'll talk about how great UA stuff is, and I have no I have no tie to UA at all, but I use those plugins all the time, and I have an 1176 that I use all the time, and I have an LA610 that I use all the time. I don't have an endorsement through Burl, but damn if everything I run through the mothership doesn't sound 10 times better than anything else.
0: I'm not gonna name any names, but there's some pe- there's some folks in our industry that seem to be everywhere, endorsed by everything yeah. all the time. And that's odd to observe, and it's kind of a, a head scratcher. I don't wanna overly criticize these people, but it's just an observation just to say, well, wait a minute, you're here and you're there. and I think part of that's the level at
1: which some people are working. There are some guys out there, you know, like the top 10% earners in our business are doing quite well for themselves, you know. And, That's true. And those, and those guys can they they end up endorsing things because people say, "Hey, we'll give you ten of this or whatever it is." You know, it's having their name associated with the product. Yep. is a benefit to that company because they do A plus work that is heard by millions of people.
0: Yeah, they're I, they're an influencer. Yeah, and I get
1: happy like when like all songs considered plays a song i worked on. Oh wow. You know what i mean? I get happy when you know like i work with i work with a band with a local with a local label or or a small indie label that has enough muscle and enough influence in the genre that i'm working in. To me that means a lot. So that's that's where my area is. And because of that, you know, i don't have that kind of pull where people are sending me free stuff all the time. So my yeah. endorsements all come from Wow, I haven't taken the Mog EQ2 off of a mix since I started it, and I haven't taken the Obsidian compressor off of my mix since I got it. Because it, I, I start with it on, and I, and then I start working, and it just works. And I tweak a parameter here and there when I need to, but usually, it just sounds good going through it. Yeah, and and that's that's where like, those companies came to me. You know, like Mog Mog said, hey, can you give me a quote? And Dramastic said, hey, can you say a quote about the Obsidian? You know, and, and it's because they're smaller companies.
0: Well, it's and interesting to, You know, uh, I think Piper Payne in her episode was talking about how it actually there there is a, obviously there's a value and there's an importance in as an engineer in forging these relationships with the manufacturers. Yeah, from a number of, for a number of reasons beyond endorsements, it's like to kind of really know who's doing what and you get, a, you get a sense of um, the level of quality they're putting into something or not. When you have those relationships over time as your profile starts to get bigger, then it's sometimes inevitable that they'll say, hey, let me send you something. I want you to try something out, give me some feedback. Yeah. And that's where it begins.
1: Well, you know, where a lot of it started with me was my local dealers. Jay Fitz and Adam Brass at DSP Doctor and Rick Scott at Parsons. Guys like this, I've known forever, so when I need to try something out, or if I, like, I remember the first time I called Adam and I was like, hey, what's up with these Josephson mics? And he said, let me bring them down. And he brought down seven different microphones. Not just Josephson, but some Gefels and some different things. He goes, I just want you to try these out. Just see what you think. And I, I did, and the Josephson hasn't left. You know, and, and then the next time I needed to do something, he said, oh, hey, I want you to try out this Mercury. You know, this was five, six, seven years ago. I want you to try this Mercury Pre, and I'm gonna bring down this airfield compressor. And, you know, he, he just keeps, you know, because it's the only way us as users can really know what the gear does is to put it through its paces in a real life environment
0: i always think of it i always think it's like a drug dealer mentality it is like first taste is free exactly and then once you try you're like oh crap well that's
1: that's what happens you know and that's why like i was telling you about coil audio adam brought down some coil pre's because i had a basic session he's like hey i want you to try these and i'll tell you where i think you might like them Hmm. and then i try things out and Unfortunately, I couldn't afford that at the time because I'm doing a rebuild of my studio. But
0: well, let's yeah. talk about that. Let's get off this topic and move on. Uh, what's going on? What's late? What's the news of late? Um, well, the the
1: demolition started yesterday. Uh, I I did I send you my video tour? I thought I sent you my video. If tour. If you
0: did, I haven't. Well, I haven't put it up. I can tell you that. Okay. You well, and like three other people. Okay. Well, if if I didn't hit me up. Okay. Uh, so,
1: in the video tour, I showed. I showed what the room looks like, the lounge and everything, and then I have this new space that's right adjacent to my current live room that I'm turning into my new control room. I, was, I wasn't I was sure what to do with it, so I contacted Lou Clark, who I know through our local AES branch in Boston. Uh, Lou did Peerless's uh, A studio, Jeff Lipton's room. He just did the University of Miami's facilities. He. I think it was University of Miami, it was a university in Florida, pretty sure it was Miami. That works. He did, he did a local room in Boston called Q-Division that is, you know, one of, one of the better studios in town. Well, I would say one of the top three studios in town, I'm going to tell it my own. <laughs> uh, but uh, he came down and took a look and kind of, you know, did a layout for me. We plotted everything out, I met with a wiring guy. Had, the, had a conversation with my wife about whether financially I could... Yeah, yeah, this yeah,
0: that's, that was interesting. Just really quick, just at, sure. before we started talking, we were talking about, uh, you know, the fact that your wife has an MBA, and she's very supportive by proposing that she help run the numbers on yes. your new space. With someone
1: who's so good at business, she actually works in sales, uh, and she has a business bra- background, and she's got this great acumen for all of it. So... I came home and said, you know, this is a lot of money. We're, You know, we're getting into, like, mid-five figures here. I don't think I can afford this. And she said, well, you're booked to June 1st, so let's let's forecast. So, by forecasting, we looked at, you know, because I, tr- I try to do project rates with everything I do, especially mixed projects, because I can't really charge by the hour for that. So, I, you know, I've got two-thirds of the work coming through is mixing, and... I kind of looked at what my numbers were going to be all the way through June 1st, what my current expenses are before the construction, and what the total amount would be. And she said, you're going to have more than half of this paid off by June 1st. So just do it. You're going to be able to afford it. Interesting. Yeah. So she was, you know, she's she's been one of the biggest proponents of, of a lot of things that I've done that have kind of, I've gotten, when I won. I won an award about three years ago, and my business jumped. My business doubled. Yeah, it was shocking to me. I had no idea. After that, the business has grown ten percent the past three years. So she's kind of seen that that growth. You know that small scale growth, and she said, if your business grows another ten percent next year, you will have this paid off in three years, even if the growth
0: plateaus. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever talked about it on the show, but tracking one's growth financially. I think there's a lot of folks that just like to set up shop, take in the money, spend the money, not really think too much about it, enjoy the creative process. That's easy to do. But it's really advantageous to, you know, put in the numbers in a spreadsheet and look at, you know, even if it's one month compared to the next month, long-term, one year compared to the next year. Do you do your own books, Matt? We have a tax person. Yeah, we, we do too. But I pretty much, I use Mint to track yeah. uh, my money because it's free and I can put up with the ad stuff that comes through. Mm-hmm. And it's just a good way to consolidate all accounts. So do you use QuickBooks? No.
1: Okay, I do, I do my own books. I, so with QuickBooks it's really easy because it's just data entry. And if you anything you do, get a receipt, watch your bank account, yep. know, know your deposits and know your withdrawals. Watch your credit cards. Make sure everything's itemized. And, and it, you can all enter it in QuickBooks really easy. FreshBooks is another one. TurboTax. I
0: used to use QuickBooks when I had a studio, but I found myself really screwing it up. And oh, yeah? The, and the bookkeeper would come in once once a month and go, what have you done? For, for me, that was a bit of a challenge. Yeah. I just like to know what's going on, which is why Mint works for me. But when it comes to... Because QuickBooks you can use to bill people. Yeah. And... I use uh, simple invoices okay to bill people. You know there's all the there's a million of these like Hydage and mm. I can't remember all the names but you get there's all these ones where you can pay like you know, 10 I to do 5, through PayPal. 10 to 15 dollars a month. I invoice people with PayPal. Do you? Yeah. I'm always like unhappy with how much money PayPal takes sometimes and I try to avoid me, it unless Me they, too. But one way to avoid that is and as many people will know, and I'm sure PayPal will be unhappy for me to tell you this, but, you know, you can pay somebody using the friends and family yeah. thing. So, like, yeah. whenever somebody says, can I just pay you with PayPal? I'll say, yeah, just do the friends and family thing no I do the same thing. So but, I don't have to take the so hit.
1: There's another app like Mint called You Need a Budget. Oh. And it works well with fluctuating income. Oh. Yeah. So, like, Mint, Mint is... Let, you know, like you were just saying you, you now have a steady income stream and mint is really good with steady incomes because you set up a monthly budget for everything and you know your monthly income and it's good at tracking that you need a budget i i work with a lot of work with a lot of musicians who are also teachers okay so they know that their their finances fluctuate because of that and fly fi- to fluctuate because of whether they have a good month or a bad month with shows or you know with sessions because you know a lot of session musicians they'll work a lot for a few weeks you know there's a drummer I work with who says yeah I see you steady for about a month and then for the next three months you're doing overdubs and mixing so I don't see you." you know so with that kind of fluctuating income you need a budget is really good with kind of managing that and saying okay just in the past this is where your trends have gone so it follows the ebb and flow a little better
0: kind of wrapping up do you enjoy the nam experience or is it beyond the be the social part of it but no like it's so <laughs> isn't it crazy there's yeah. some people yeah, there's a lot of people dressed up in some wacky outfits there's a lot of a uh, lot of different types of people here it's a large audio mall well it's <laughs> funny i've been staying only in the recording area And I started to walk around yesterday, and I found myself, I was like, wait a minute. I see cellos and violins. Yeah. Oh, I'm in the wrong neighborhood. Have you done the basement? Have I done the what? The basement? No, I didn't know. The basement's
1: where all the science experiments happen.
0: What? Yeah.
1: It's like where all the newcomers, like, that's where I first saw Zvex years ago. They were in the basement. And uh, Smoky Amps, you know the company that makes amps out of cigarette boxes. Yeah, they they were they started off down there too. Like a lot of companies started off down there. Breedlove first had a booth down there.
0: Well, it's good to see you, man. Good to and, see you uh, too. Nice to have a little power chat with you here. As we uh, and just to give the listener kind of an image, we're off of Hall A in like an alcove area right by a service door and we sat here on the floor to eat our lunch together with in fact daryl thorpe had joined us for lunch and it was kind of funny to see all us sitting on the floor here this is the type of thing that happens you know like you're just
1: walking around and you bump into bootsy collins yeah in full gear
0: yeah (laughs) well on that note let's go uh let's go roam the halls let's do it okay thanks sean all right, Ben Lindell and Sean McLaughlin so far here on the Working Class Audio Podcast, NAM 2017, kind of power talk sessions. So, typically in the show, if you're a regular show listener, you know that we take a, a break right about in the middle with Audio Technica and we talk about all things Audio Technica. So, it's my pleasure, of course, this time to do uh, a break with Gary Boss from Audio Technica. And I think uh, Gary presents the Audio Technica information better than anybody, but he does a great job of uh, really telling it like it is. So uh, here it is. Let's uh, stop on by the Audio Technica booth at NAM 2017 with Gary Boss here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Hi, Gary. Hello. So we're here at NAM 2017 once again for our power talk. I know you, but the audience doesn't know. What is your title at Audio-Technica?
3: My title is marketing director, professional products. So I oversee the marketing efforts for everything from installed sound to live sound to studio. Been with the company 26 years, been on most of the product development teams, so have a pretty good product knowledge as well as just a general market overview, if you will.
0: You know the products backwards and forward. You talk about products as if you made them yourself, so what's new with AT? at this NAM, what are, you, what are you talking about this year? Well,
3: we, we have a couple things. From a pure, just kind of repurposing different shit in a different box kind of thing, we have studio headphone packs, which are actually pretty cool. So what we've done is we've taken some of our most popular mixing and tracking headphones and bundled them together. So we have a pack four, which includes one M40, which I know you like a lot. And three M20 for tracking headphones for the uh, amazingly low price of 199 bucks, Or I've taken a M50 mix headphone and then four M20 tracking headphones for $299 for a little larger studio. So uh, that's one thing that's just kind of interesting. And yeah. uh, you can offer uh, some savings on that. But in the true new product. I have a new clip-on instrument miking system that's equally at home live and in the studio. So uh, we had a microphone called the ATM 350 and we've had it for quite some time, a beloved clip-on microphone. But over the years, uh, we learned some things. And one of the things we learned was that the gooseneck isn't as rigid as we would like it to be. So it tends to wander over time if you have it on a drum or whatnot. Um, so we fixed that, it's much more rigid gooseneck. We also found that uh, some people like Uh, a little longer gooseneck. So now we have it in a five or nine inch option, which is kind of nice. So if you're micing, say, a trumpet, some people like a little distance on the mic. Hmm. Um, We now have a woodwind mount for those hard to mic uh, instruments like uh, clarinet, oboe, things like that. Uh, We now have a very cool magnetic piano mount with a nine inch gooseneck. So a couple of those, you can now do um, closed lid, Grand pianos which are nice because it's a very low profile mount that uh, just magnetically uh, mounts right there to the uh, harp or the metal surfaces in the piano. Uh, and last but not least we have a very cool clip-on drum mic which actually attaches to the lug right on the tuning lug and you can get a nice low-profile performance out of that microphone and you can still tune the drum amazingly enough you have to see it you have to look it up because it's one of those things that was an afterthought in product development but everyone's like oh that's really cool someone was thinking so it's one of those kind of things so that's the new ATM 350 uh, system anything
0: else to add before we go
3: oh I did just launch a new line of videos so I I have 30 videos on how to mic stuff. So if you if you check out my YouTube channel which is Audio Technica USA on YouTube, I have 30 videos and you know I I called them recording basics, but I mean even people who have been recording for a while have found some interesting content. Like our kick drum, how to mic a kick drum, I think it's been viewed 90,000 times. I'm like I don't think there's 90,000 kick drums in the world. Like who is watching this thing? But it, or is one guy that just really doesn't get it. <laughs> but so I have all these videos, and I just released a few days ago videos surrounding content creation. And I know even in the studio world, bands, everybody, you know, you have to be creating content to get, to get people to draw to your page or your Facebook page or your site or see what you're doing. So this, this video series actually covers everything from how to hold a boom pole, how to put a lavalier microphone on. There's two-part series on how to put a mic on. Uh, how to mic the inside of a car, how to turn a wall into a boundary mic, all kinds of weird stuff. Because as we know, video people are typically not audio people, but for the audio people, it gives you some insight. If you do want to start doing content creation, some basics on, on how to how to mic stuff. Oh, well, that's super useful. Yeah.
0: Well, cool. Well, thanks for having a chat with me here at NAMM 2017. And if you're curious, audience, go on over to audio-technica.com look up all the stuff Gary and I have been sitting here chatting about. Great talking to you here at NAMM 2017. So thanks, Gary.
3: Yeah, always a pleasure. All right.
0: Hi, Andy. Hi, Matt. Good to see you, man. So we're here at NAMM. I'm here with Andy Freeman, producer, engineer. Andy and I actually recorded a show at one point in the working class audio history that didn't see the light of day because it was at a time when I was using only Skype recorder Oh, and yeah, yeah. Skype Recorder dumped pretty much two-thirds of our conversation. And I was so mad at the whole thing that I just called you up. and was like, I'm really sorry, but this didn't happen. And, you know, when you lose a take and you just can't get it back, I had to pull back and just go, I'll catch that at another time.
4: I remember that, and I remember thinking wow, I wasn't so confident of what I was saying anyway, so maybe it's a good thing that it all kind of died. you know. Oh, well. But I also, I had that experience recently having to call a client and say, here's what happened, it's my fault, and we need to find a way to fix it, and I'm so, so sorry. Yeah. And that happened last week, first time in my career. And you move on, and it somehow it gets better. So...
0: So we're at NAM 2017, we're in Anaheim, and, you know, NAM is the usual craziness that it is. Um, what is your purpose in being here? So I'm
4: here, here for the first time, which is kind of unbelievable, but I'm here to say hi to everybody, old friends, meet new people. There's a It's a small networking aspect of it, I yeah. think. See new products and, you know, all uh, oh, that's pretty standard. I'm actually, as of last week, I am. Thanks to Matt McGlynn, I am now the editor at RecordingHacks.com.
0: Okay, because yeah, you've taken over that because he's doing his other thing where he's building mics. Yeah, uh, Roswell. Roswell, Roswell microphones. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I saw him at AES, and if you haven't been to Recording Hacks, you should because it's it's a great it's a super useful tool. For, Absolutely for microphone facts and you know figures. If you're you know if you want to geek out on on the details. And totally. Comparison, side-by-side comparison of, yeah. of, of frequency response and signal-to-noise ratio, et cetera, all that.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And going back for a lot of discontinued microphones, which I think, yeah, I mean, for current microphones, it's fairly easy to find on the company's website to find a frequency chart and things like that. But to compare that against older mics, say, if you're looking to buy a used microphone or you want to see what the tolerances of um, sensitivity of a mic or SPL level should be and you're buying it used and you want to see how that's changed. It's super useful for that.
0: But you're also continuing to do production work and engineering work. Yes, Cindy. I know you work out of other studios and you're going to be up in the Bay Area soon. How do you work? Like what's your geographical flow? Geographical flow, that keeps changing, but I have a mix room at home Okay.
4: Um, home studio. And yeah. I've done a couple. If, if we need to overdub an acoustic guitar, hey, do it at my place. And we treated the room with a lot of GIK acoustic stuff, and um, and it sounds good and mixes translate. So I couldn't ask for more there. I'm tracking out of a few studios around L.A., still tracking a lot out of Studio Discrete inside Hyde Street in San Francisco. My former residence in San Francisco that I miss very much. A few other places around the country and... Uh, I mixed a band from Australia recently, so I'm trying to get a little more known there.
0: And uh-huh. Tell me being about... Being all over the place. And, and being that this is kind of a NAMM power round, how are you finding the survival aspects of, you know, doing all the different things and, you know, diversifying mm. a little bit? How's that going? I think it's going, it's going well. It's easy to say yes to a lot of things.
4: If you're out there, you know, bouncing around in the big old wide world and meeting people opportunities come up if you're you know if you're i like to think of myself as a decent guy you know yeah um so things happen that's not unique for me but i have had to realize what i can do effectively and what i have to say no to and what i have to put on hold because it's easy to just keep saying yes 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 and then you get buried in stuff and then you're not being effective
0: and not only not being effective but sometimes you can say yes too much and take on gigs that don't pay as well And if you maybe cut back on some of those gigs and leave a little open space for future opportunities that might pay a little
4: better. Oh, totally. Yeah. If you're, it can get to a point, and I've so been here in the past where I have been, I mean, years ago, so buried with stuff, I was only able to focus on what was in front of me and totally unable to focus on future business. And that just, you know, so at a certain point, all that work falls off a cliff because you're done with it. And then you sit there. You sit there in your empty studio and you go, okay, now what? And you got nothing. And that's when panic sets in. So I'm trying to ride that line of a lot
0: going on, but not too much. We always want to project ahead of what what work is coming in and plan accordingly. You know, we, I like to say we plant seeds. We have conversations. It's like, oh, well, this record might happen. This, This project might happen. I might, you know, I might work on this game, this film, this record. Do you have any strategy to try to like, you know, keep feeding the, the, keeping the, f- the workflow happening. In other words, making sure that there is continual work, consistent oh, work.
4: Go to shows. If you want to work with bands, go to shows. Uh. Um, it pains me to admit this, but bands don't want a great record nearly as much as they want fans and a career. And that's what going to shows is all about, uh, is going and being a fan and supporting their career and really being in their corner and then when they want to make a record, they might come to you. So laying the groundwork for those kinds of things to happen six months, nine months, a year out, it starts by going to shows and supporting that band and showing them love and not just using it as a marketing opportunity, but really getting into their music.
0: It's it's so, relationship building.
4: Absolutely. And it, it's got to be genuine because if it's not, people can smell it a mile away, you know.
0: Hot, yeah. And that's why you say you have to really open yourself up to their music and what they're doing. Yeah. And if you what if I mean, what if you sense an opportunity, but you, you don't feel it a hundred percent, is it just wise to
4: bail? I think, I think a band respects it. If you say, you know, this really isn't for me, but it's even nicer to say, you know, guys, this really isn't for me. I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm probably not your guy for this, but you know, I got this friend that I know that would really be into this. I think it'd be a great fit. If you can not be a a dead end for that band but to say i
0: support your career as people maybe if you go over here it might be a little better for you and be more of a conduit try to be a person who's got solutions instead of just barriers
4: instead of just no hard pass go away it it doesn't really help move music forward
0: all right this has been nam power talk with andy freeman thanks andy power talk hey if uh people want to read more about you where can they find out more stuff about you
4: Andy dot and I guess I'm not really on recording hacks and don't want to be, but you should go there. It's a cool site. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Matt. Good to see you.
0: See you. Are we recording? We're recording. Is this on? It is. So this is. These have been my little Nam Power Talks. Nam Power a, Talk. We're still at Nam. Is this Nam
5: Breakfast Talk? Breakfast Power Talk.
0: So I'm sitting here with Vance Powell. We just had breakfast. We did. Uh, where are we at? We're at the Annabelle Hotel. We're at the Annabelle. It's raining. It is raining. And there's, um... John Cougar. John Cougar, yeah. Yeah, John Cougar is
5: playing John in Cougar the background. John Cougar is playing quietly but, in the background. But
0: you won't be able to hear that, so there won't be any copyright issues or... Yeah, no no copyright yeah. issues. So we're just going gonna to drown him out. Yeah. What do you get out of coming to NAMM? What's it for you? I just come here to say hi to my friends that
5: I don't get to see the rest of the year, basically. A lot of the manufacturers and musicians and producers and you, I mean... It's that kind of thing. It's it's not. I'm not walking around seeing trying to find the newest, coolest thing or the newest coolest amp or pedal or whatever. Although there is a fair amount of
0: that, you know, just kind of, oh, hmm, that's interesting. What's your opinion about on the concept or topic of the relationship that guys like you have, or guys like me as well, throw myself in there, that we have with manufacturers?
5: It's it's good to have a good relationship with them uh, and to be friends with them, because sometimes they don't really know what we need. They 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 know what they want to make, and that isn't always what we need. Anybody can make a new mic pre. Oh, I'm, I am make a new 500 series mic pre. Great, that's awesome. I wish somebody made a 500 series spring reverb. You know, these are that kind of whole different dichotomy of thought. Try to try to send people the things that they. Try to tell them, well, that's cool, but, you know, what about this? Or what about well,
0: this? Plus, it's just nice to be on the ground level of, of some of the developments of some of the gear that they're, yeah. they're talking about.
5: I don't endorse or are endorsed by a lot of people. I mean, I'm not, I'm not really out here doing anything. I, I, pro, I, I, I shill for Universal Audio because I like what they do. They build products I, I can't use without. I can't work without, I mean. They listen to me. They listen to uh, my friends that are sort of in it with them, you know, together. And uh, it's a very symbiotic relationship, you know. I get to throw ideas at them for plugins, and then some of them don't get done, and then some of them do. You know, I, I years and years and years and years ago, I asked for a AKG BX20, and they didn't do it, and they didn't do it, and they didn't do it, and then they did it, you know. I asked for a Cooper Time Cube, that actually kind of happened. So we ask for things. They think about it and percolate on it for a while and see if they can fit it in their schedule and uh, if they want to do it and think they can sell it. And then they do it. And they've got all kinds of, you know, there's it's just it's just a nice symbiotic relationship between manufacturers and engineer producers.
0: I would users. agree, I would agree. You know, with regards to Universal Audio, I mean, obviously they sponsor the show. I've mentioned on the show. I do QA work for them now, uh-huh. part time, and uh, and I've been a UA artist as as well. So, it's it's kind of strange, and and we are both of us are good friends with those guys. I think it's easier when you strongly believe in what they're what a manufacturer is doing.
5: Sure. I mean, look, everybody here's selling something. I come here because I want to see a lot of my friends, yeah, and I want to help Universal Audio. But I would be I would be lying to say I'm not here somehow in some weird way promoting my own brand of sorts. And it's great to run into people who are fans or, or want to ask me a question or whatever. I mean, that's a good feeling.
0: You were the seventh podcast, technically the yes. sixth interview, but the seventh podcast. This, what we're recording right now is essentially number 110. So mm-hmm. it's been a while. And you and I have had many conversations about our conversation then and things have changed. Uh, a bit. What's what's new? What's changed for you since that original discussion? Well, I, I discussion? mean, I think
5: that original discussion was, you know, and I've, you know, I've talked about this. I mean, I mean, uh, in afterthought, you know, I, I probably should have just called you and said, hey, you know, maybe some of that was just me talking to you and not talking to an audience of people. You know, like two friends talking about shit. You know? Yeah. You know, and it's funny because uh, I I feel like mine like at times is kind of pinched and grouchy and negative, and then Shep's is on right after me, and his is beautiful and glorious, and so so Andrew and I I mean we're different people, and that's totally cool. But you know, it was sort of like ah. So, uh, uh,
0: from your perspective listening back on it
5: I'm just like oh, god I sound like such an asshole <laughs> and, and it, it, you know it, it sure don't, didn't mean to come out that way but I was being honest about a lot of uh, about everything I was saying you know, not like I'm bullshitting about any of it it's just sometimes you know probably should have edited that a little bit but that's neither here nor there that's, that's water under the bridge I think the big things have changed for me the only real thing that's changed, some of my gears changed. You know, I at that time, we had just moved into the new studio. That was two and a half years ago. And it's still, it's still a learning process for me to get used to it. The old Sputnik was like, you know, really comfortable shoes every day. It was just the best and easy. And uh, the new one is like really great Doc Martens that look great and uh, you put them on and you go, man, those are awesome. And I'm going to be able to wear these forever. But fuck, are they uncomfortable at the moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's kind, of, that's kind of how every, I think anytime anybody moves studios, uh, it's that way. And a lot of guys I know that are traveling, traveling around, going from studio to studio, it's that same thing. You know, I did a record in Belgium this year. I had no idea what any of that record sounded like until I got back to Nashville. And then I was listening to it in my room. I was like, ah, oh, Oh, okay, not an idiot. You know, like, that sounds pretty good. I'm pleasantly surprised. Oh, I'm surprised at how good that sounds. Um, you know, so there's a little bit of that. And when it's your space and, you know, you're responsible for everything, that, you know, that's a whole other sort of burden. I mean, right now, I've had a couple guys in Nashville that are really great techs, Greg Sanchez and Vinny Fast. They're working on my console right now. And they've been working on it for five or six days, five days, while I've been out here. And just one, this one little niggling, little terrible nagging problem that's bothering me. And uh, bothering them and us, and we're trying to fix it. And I'm, you know, I'm just thinking to myself as a studio owner, I wonder what this is going to cost. What's it going to cost to have two techs for five days, you know, working on my console?
0: You didn't, like... Well, Ask ahead of
5: time? Yeah, but, you know. What's you it know, really going to cost? Yeah, what's it
0: really going to cost? Just parts and...
5: Sure, sure. I totally trust them. It's going to be fine. Right. But, you know, it's not, like you said, this is not like, it's not worries that you have if you have a laptop in your bedroom. You're correct. Those worries are like, oh, why, why won't my Pro Tools 12.7 subscription work <laughs> <laughs> that I just paid $1,000 for? Yeah. Why is it not working, Avid? Oh you'll call me back to, on it. Great. When's that going to be? Oh, tomorrow? That doesn't work. You know, shit like that.
0: Right. You know, these
5: these are the problems of the laptop world, you know. And those are not the problems of my world, although they are
0: because well, that happens. Well, and, and so you got this is a, this SSL you have, you didn't have when I we talked last. What was the decision behind that?
5: Well, I bought I, the thing is I bought a console because it had flying faders in it. It had 86 channels of flying faders. I bought the console as an investment. And then I just decided to use it. You know, I, I bought the console at a really great price and most of it didn't work. But all it needed was it needed recapping, it needed re-switched. And those, that re-switching was the part, there's 1,400 switches. Uh, that's a lot of switches to replace. Yeah. And then the flying faders didn't work. But the flying feeders didn't work because someone had cut the optical cable and had a bad optical transceiver. Both of those, I just found the parts and found the optical cable and replaced. And it worked. So now I have an 86 channel flying fader system, which is worth a good amount of money. Uh, That system live would be, or new, would be well over $150,000, new. They're a little over $1,000 a channel. So 86 channels, yeah, maybe 100,000
0: with tech. So am I wrong in thinking that SSLs, usually SSLs are losing their value?
5: Well, everything, every console is losing its value. I mean, my console new in 1986 was $380,000 in 1986 Right. Dollars. Now think about that in 1986 dollars.
0: That's a lot of money. That's
5: a lot of money. That's probably a million bucks now. You know, I paid uh, 27500 for mine, and then I bought one of the uh, atomic, the atomic power supplies.
0: Reed's Reed, thing. Reed
5: and Norman's power supply. Yeah. So I throw Norman in there, and uh, uh, that was about 6000 because I had to buy the plasma supply also. And then installing it, I drove to, Mike, my assistant and I drove to get it, picked it up, drove it, that was a thousand bucks. And then in putting it in, it took two weeks to put it in and take the old desk out and wrap the old desk up in cellophane and put it in storage, put the flying faders in storage, blah, blah, blah. You know, now the good news is I sold the flying faders and paid for the console. So that's good news. The reason I I, I had this big Soundcraft and it sounded really great for tracking. It was a beautiful tracking desk. Uh, but it was impossible to mix on. It's a split desk. It's 12 feet 6 inches long. Half of the desk you mixed on was totally unusable. It was six and a half feet away from me. I mean, it was just completely way,
0: impractical.
5: Way impractical. It was great. It was made. It was built for Hans Zimmer. So sure, doing orchestral stuff, it was probably awesome because it was big. It was 48
0: by 32 by 32. It was huge. Who are you working with these days?
5: I uh, just finished the second Chris Stapleton record. I uh, See, I did a Rock uh, Randolph record. I mixed a Rock Randolph record this year. I mixed a little Miss Etheridge record this year. I recorded an Amos Lee record earlier in the year uh, that Andrew Sheps mixed. I did a bunch of production stuff, the old 97s, which is a band from, from Dallas. I, I produced their record, so I recorded, mixed, and produced that. And then I did a record by a band from Orlando, a little band that was really cool called Thomas Wynn and the Believers. Uh, that'll be out sometime, and then this year, mid-year probably. You're working a lot. Yeah, I worked almost every day. Did you have a manager when we last spoke? Yes, is it the same I did. manager. I had just, I just taken him about four months earlier. Okay. Yes, Jeremiah Graber, Graber, Graber
0: What's yeah. his company's name?
5: Uh, GPS Global right.
0: Positioning. That's right. That's obvious. Uh, so okay, that's worked out.
5: You know, it's funny. Uh, um, you know, managers, people, managers come and go, and. You know, a couple of my friends and people I know have been managed by him and his company. And some of them have, you know, some of them have stayed, some of them have left, some of them stayed and left and come back. Some of them, you know, Ryan Hewitt just signed up. They knew each other forever, but I think Ryan probably, I can't speak for him, really, I shouldn't. You know, he may have talked to Jeremiah because he knew I liked him, you know. And that's totally cool. I don't want a manager who's an asshole to people. I don't want a, I don't want a money-grubbing throw people under the bus, be a shithead manager. I want a guy I can call and say, how can we, how, what we can do to make more money and make a better record on this? What, what, what can we do to do it? Let's figure out some way to do it, you know, and, and be sort of a partners because, you know, I mean, I pay him to manage me and he's getting paid by me so that he manages me and makes more money for me and him. And, you know, it has to be a symbiotic relationship in that way instead of being like, Well let me tell you how things are gonna be, guy. Yeah. You know. Or the vice versa. You know, Vance, I'm not gonna do you know, I'm not gonna do that. He's not a guy who ever really has ever told me we can't do something. And you know, I like him. And that's what's important. I know a lot of people are gonna say that's
0: stupid and silly, but you know, so what? I'm a pretty good judge of character I think. So we're out in Anaheim, Southern California. Yep. It's raining. It's pouring rain. Uh, and I'm wondering if do you ever Consider leaving Nashville? No, and yes. Okay.
5: No, because I love the community and the people around it and our friends and all that. Yes, you know, about every four years when, you know, I go to vote and my vote is inconsequential and, you know, racism is everywhere. Now, Nashville is cool. It's a very cool, very progressive city, but you don't have to go very far out of it for it to just turn into you know something I don't wanna be a part of. Could you
0: ever see yourself living in, in LA? No. A little bit different culture.
5: No, it's not, it has nothing to do with the culture. It's too fucking big. <laughs> it's too fucking big, too many people. I mean, I don't know, I could probably, I could probably see myself moving somewhere. First of all, it's gonna be somewhere warmer. So, so yeah, I mean, parts of California I really love. I love Northern California a lot, but there's no music scene. There's yeah. no, Tell there's no, there's none of that. There's no real music scene here either that I see. There's
0: more of a hub.
5: Yeah, there's there's a lot of studios, but I mean, this is the film and, film and video and all that. I mean, you know, I mean, there is a scene here and, and I, I, I'm just not connected to it. And that's fine. Hmm. The thing about Nashville is, man, we have all these great players, we have all these of great musicians, got a lot of bands that are parts of other bands. And I mean, there's just a lot of cool stuff going on. It's in the middle of country, you know, it's a one hour flight to Chicago. It's, an, it's a, oh, let's see, one hour Chicago. One hour to New Orleans, 52 minutes to the beach. I mean, uh, it's a 52-minute flight to the beach. So, like, okay, I can live in LA. It's not even a 52-minute drive to the beach. <laughs> and and even when you get to the beach, you can't swim in it. It's too fucking cold. How are the right
0: winters now. in in uh, Nashville?
5: Nashville? Oh, it snows once, maybe once or twice. The problem we have is that it snows, then it melts, then it freezes. It becomes ice, and then nobody goes anywhere, and there all work stops for days. And so it's kind of okay.
0: Snow day or ice day.
5: Yeah, ice day. And they cancel school on the threat of snow.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's going to snow, we unlike, cancel school. Unlike Michigan where there are Nobody snow- cancels school. Yeah, yeah there's snow professionals in Michigan. Yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. yeah, well, yeah, or anywhere north of the Mason-Dixon line pretty much, you know. Illinois, Indiana, uh, Ohio, Missouri. Huh. Yeah, nobody cares. I mean, I remember we got 30 inches of snow and uh, they canceled school one day and the next day they drove the buses the bus route and the buses were the plows. <laughs> you know, like with chains. I was like, okay, guess guess
0: we're going to school. So. so you've had a good time here and I and I hate to go back to gear because I know we try to avoid no, that a do lot. It. But uh, uh what's been have you seen anything that is a must have here? You know, there's there's some really cool stuff being made. I mean I'm a big earthquaker
5: pedals, earthquaker devices yeah uh, guy I'm friends with them, there's they, they gave me a pedal to try out, and then I was just like, okay, cool, Let me, can, can I try another one? And they very, very generously just sent me a big, huge box full of pedals. And, um, you know, that's a very, very, very nice
0: gesture. And those pedals you use in mixing? Yes. And tell me the interface you use to get them in. So
5: I have multiple ways to do it. I, I actually have a new piece of gear It's by a company called TK Audio out of Sweden. It's called the Transceiver. Very reasonable four channel, one rack space way to go plus four to minus 10. So you can use it for all kinds of things. Uh, I have one of those. I have a pair of radial XTCs, which is the same idea, but in a 500 space. And then I have uh, Jonathan Little's fantastic Little Labs PCP. And then this is gonna probably freak some people out, but I have a couple ART Tube MP2s, and then I have a Tube MP Pro which are basically these super cheap 12AX7-based tube mic pre's. Oh, yeah. And they got a quarter inch on the front, and I just used them as the returns to boost my tape echoes back into the desk. They're about $80 to $100 on eBay. You can buy them all day long. I bought the Pro one, which had VU meters. All right? It was 200 bucks. Okay? So this is a pretty good deal. And these don't sound bad. These mic pre's don't sound bad. They're not like, I mean, you know, 12AX7 common mic pre. They're just... They just don't sound bad. They're okay. Hmm. But for for tape, for you know, pedals, effects loops, things like that, they're perfect. And they have this crazy instead of having a pad, they have a plus 20 button that takes the input plus 20 into the tube. So you can hit a button and they'll just blow up gloriously, you just turn the output down. And so I do that quite a bit with like sort of guitars and, and like tape echoes. Mm-hmm. And I just blow that tape echo, just blow it up, the output of the tape echo. And it just, it's really cool sounding. Do you print
0: those, uh, those returns yeah, off the, off yeah, the yeah, pedals? Yeah,
5: sometimes, sometimes not. It depends if I have to use it for more than one thing. Mm. But a lot of times I don't, I just, I just let it play back. And then I have a whole rig where they, they come back into that tube MP, but uh, then they go out of the tube MP into a drummer gate.
2: And then the gate goes, to,
5: gate goes to my console. So I gate them. Because of the noise? Because of noise. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, when you add 20 dB to a full tone tape, tube tape echo, you're going to get
0: some. I'll have you back on and, and we'll, we'll talk more at length. Yeah, let's this do is, it. I just wanted to add you on to our little power chat uh, it's you're the one NAM, of, but for NAM. NAM. Can
5: put a bunch of echo on this. NAM, NAM power, power chat. chat.
0: Perfect. Thanks, fans. You got it. Okay, let's man there it is the nam nam power Chat. yeah thanks for that vance i want to thank everybody involved here today uh on this special edition of working class audio i want to thank andy freeman sean mclaughlin gary boss ben lindell vance Powell, of course and uh thank everybody for uh having a listen I want to, of course thank our crew cliff truesdale chuck smith cole williams and i want to thank our sponsors Gearsluts.com, vocal monitors, audio technica, and universal audio. And to the WCA listeners, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, working class audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to Gearspace.com, check out Audio Life many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on Gearspace.com. So check that out.